The church needs to learn to say no. God wants us to stand for his holy principles, but also say no to the things which are antithetical to the goodness of God. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other here with me in the studio. Hello, I'm John Mills. It's good to be here. And Pastor John, would you pray for us as we begin? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for your word that you've given us, and that we can study your word, we can learn from you, and that your spirit speaks to our hearts. And we just ask that you would be with us as we have this conversation today uh, to learn from you in your name. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about how the church must have a different set of eyes to see the world and a different set of beliefs to navigate the world than, obviously, does the world. It sounds like a very simple concept, but it is something which lies at the roots and the foundation of who we are as a people, and it lies at the root of a lot of the chaos in our world. Now, of course, there are sins and things which tie all the way back to the fall, but when we look at our society and things around, there is this constant pull for the church to embrace more and more of the world's beliefs. Pastor John led a phenomenal Sunday school lesson on this. And I want us to just jump right into this. John, you had articulated yesterday that our beliefs shape the options we consider. And that there are people who are within the church that don't even consider responding with the biblical response. That there are so many who want to see the world and navigate the world on the world's terms. Would you just open up and kind of further expand on that idea that our beliefs really do shape the options we consider in life? Okay, yes, I, I think that's certainly true. You know, we have the idea a lot of times that we walk around with a, a devil on one shoulder and an angel on one shoulder, and they're whispering into our ears. And, you know, so we're choosing between what is right and what is wrong, between what is biblical and what is not biblical. But in reality, you know, a lot of times we don't even consider the biblical option. We consider two non-biblical options, two secular options, and we kind of choose which one is the lesser evil of the two. Mm. But our mindset doesn't even allow us to, to consider what a true biblical option would be in that case. Yeah, this is really a huge problem that we have in the modern day and age. And we've gotten here because our public sphere has really trained people to do this. The way our society has found itself organized, the way that the loud voices which get a lot of the attention in our culture have come to the table, is they have only given people these options of choosing A or B, go for the lesser of two eagles, as you have said. But this is something which has actually been with the world for a long time, and Scripture does a lot. Jesus does a lot with people to try to warn them against this and say, you actually don't have to choose either. When people come to him and say, well, who's my neighbor? You know, Jesus doesn't sit down and articulate on the world's terms who is a neighbor. Instead, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan and looks deep into the heart and soul of somebody who would have mercy on someone that you may not expect. And whenever people come to Jesus and they say, oh, this illness leads to death, you know, Jesus says, no, this illness doesn't lead to death. He kind of redefines the whole world and says, actually, it's not A or B. It's something entirely different. And I know you brought up a survey um, a Barna survey. And would you share a little bit what you had discussed with that, John? Uh, yes. They were looking at whether uh, people in the church adopted the worldview or the mindset uh, of the culture around them. And what they found was that only about 17% of people who considered themselves Christians, who said, you know, that the church was important to them, their faith was important to them, 
only about 17% of those people actually held biblical views. Uh, things, for example, that Jesus Christ was without sin uh, and that, you know, that we can know what truth is and other things like this. And so it gives us an idea of how far we've gone in just adopting what the world around us believes. And we adopt a sanitized version of it, yeah. a, a, you know, a, a lighter version, a, a better version, but it's basically the same ideas. Yes. You, you just nailed something right there at the end. A lot of times there are those in the church, both in our Christian universities and behind pulpits, who want to sell kind of the diet version of the worldview. Yeah. They want to sell the sanitized version of the beliefs. You know, we'll take away the cussing. Maybe we'll put a few more layers of clothes on. But it's fundamentally the same thing. And that is not what the biblical worldview is supposed to be. Um, it actually is something totally different. You had mentioned how there's just a small margin. And what, was that 17%? 17%. 17%. I know you mentioned the idea that Jesus is was out sin. That, that's something that a lot of people don't even hold. Um, there was the other day on the news, and I forget the the news anchor's name, but there was a news anchor on one of the major networks that said Jesus Christ was not perfect. And he even he said he was not perfect. And I'm just thinking they're like thinking like what? Uh, right. Where where did this come from? Like heresy 101. Like have we, you know, you ever heard the Apostles Creed, Mr. Newsacre? I'm just ridiculous stuff. And this gets put into the public sphere and people go along with it. And there's a lot of people who want the approval of the world so they'll accept these and move along. But no, we have to reject it full sale. But Digging into those beliefs, in case you're curious what is a biblical worldview and what is not, I know one of the other things you had talked about was, is there absolute truth? You know, that's fundamental to the Christian worldview that there is yeah. absolute truth. Um, we have to recognize that there are blind spots in the biblical, in the, when you do this whole diet version of the world, when you throw away the biblical worldview and you get, you know, worldly beliefs, diet or worldly belief zero. It only has one calorie or zero calories, whatever. There's some big blind spots in that. John, would you talk with us a little bit about blind spots? You had a great analogy for this. I mean, it's literal blind spots, but it applies to spiritual side as well. Uh, yes. Uh, I spent a number of years teaching high school biology. And one of my favorite uh, sections was when we would talk about the nervous system and the brain. And there's the idea that you do not see because or you do not see through your eyes, you see through your brain. What your eyes do is they pick up the light signals that hit the eye, and they hit the retina of the eye, which contains the rods and the cones. And that picks up the light signals and sends it to the brain. But it's your brain that interprets it and, and allows you to see something. And in fact, the retina itself has a blind spot. There's a literal spot on the retina where there are no rods or cones. And this is where the, the optic nerve attaches to the retina. So because there are no rods or cones, it is impossible for that part of the retina to receive light rays. But yet your brain sees everything. It doesn't see a blank spot or a dead spot in your vision. Now, it's not picking up anything from the retina. So what your brain is doing is just filling in that blank spot with what it thinks should be there. And we see that in a physical sense. But what we don't realize a lot of times in a spiritual sense, a moral sense, 
we're doing exactly the same way. We're looking at what we think is reality, and it's not reality, but it's the reality that we're seeing because that's the way we've been shaped to see things. And, uh, you know, we I talked a little bit about this idea as it applies to our money. The Bible makes it very clear that everything we have, our money, our possessions, it's not ours. If we are Christians, everything we have belongs to God. And yet we basically have the same ideas about money as the world does. Now, we would give the, the lighter version, the diet version. We would say you shouldn't use your money to do things that are bad or that are illegal. And we might go as far as saying you should pay tithe on that money. But the rest of it, we would say, agreeing with the world, it's your money. Do with it what you want to. And so yep. we find these blind spots where we don't even consider what the biblical reality is. Oh, absolutely. And what you articulated there with money, the diet version that a lot of times we use the church shell is kind of a technical version where we'll split things down to technicality and say, well, yeah, 10% of it belongs to God. you got to tithe that, but then the rest, do what you want. You know, that there's no moral principle in that. No. And, and as you said there, when you make the case that's a true alternative to the world where you say, no, the money belongs to God because God is the author of all creation. <laughs> you, you didn't give the breath of life to yourself. Um, when you make that principled saying that says, no, you are a child of God. You might be a unique creature, but it all belongs to God. That is a principled stand that has something which fundamentally changed how you navigate the world. And, of course, it changes the choices that you have. It changes everything. Um, in our world right now, there are people that just want to adopt the worldly belief systems. And one of the problems you have, tying back to the notion of a blind spot, is that people do not believe in the modern day and age that they have a blind spot. You mentioned there how your brain will fill in the gaps of the literal blind spot. I mean, that's objectively true. You, you can't argue and say, well, you know, I don't have the blind spot because I've got more cones in my eyes. Like, no, no, that's, bi that's a biological fact. You do not have those cones. But there are a lot of people in our modern day and age with, who would say, well, because I don't perceive that, it must not be there. Um, and the same thing happens with our spiritual lives. And one of the beautiful things about adopting a biblical worldview is just as our brain fills in those gaps, the biblical worldview understands the world better than we do. It's going to fill in gaps. It's going to give us wisdom to navigate situations that we may not be able to see all the everything. You know, we, we're going to be limited because we're not omnipotent. We're not omnipresent beings. But the biblical worldview will help fill in the blind spots that we have as human limitation, we, with human limitation. And it is so important to adopt something bigger than just the day and age, the spirit of the age around us. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we kind of keep going, but the blind spot is a critical aspect of having eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah, I, I think you're so right about that. You were talking about, you know, some of the teachings of Jesus. And I think, you know, when you go back and you look at Peter, and Peter came to Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Now, the world said, you don't forgive at all. Your neighbor does yep. something to him, you pound him on the head. Yep. Peter wanted a lighter version of that. Yep. He said seven times. Now, to Peter, he thought that was great because it was so much better than what the world was doing. Yep. And Jesus said, no, it's not that at all. You forgive every single time. Yep. And so we can have these incredible blind spots. There. Oh, yeah. And to your point there with the question of forgiveness, they were looking for a formula. They wanted that technical little formula that they could slip in their pocket and say, ah, 
I checked all the boxes. We're good. Now I can smite anyone in my in my path <laughs> now. Um, so we as the church, we have to learn to say no. Because this is a beautiful thing. It's actually a liberating thing, being able to say no to the world. Because when you step into the biblical worldview, you are stepping into something which is transcendental. You know, our society glorifies the idea of getting ahead through wickedness. And I know you articulated this yesterday. Um, I want to expand on that just a bit, if I can. Because I 100% agree with you that our world, it incentivizes the idea of getting ahead through wickedness. It glorifies this. You find it through entertainment. You find it through the stories that our culture wants to tell. You find it through basically how our selection of who gets into politics and things happens. But in, in all honesty, I think this has been in our culture so long that it's grown. So what I'm about to say is not in disagreement with your your articulation that our society glorifies the idea of getting ahead through wickedness. I just want to expand it a little bit if I can. Because I think our society has shifted to the point where it doesn't want to allow people to make the principled stands that would say something like, your money, your wealth, your life, it belongs to God. You know, making the argument that says, you are created in the image of God. This is what is holy. This is what is sin sinful. Our world has really gotten to a place where in the public sphere, you are not permitted to make stands, statements on the principles themselves, on virtue, on the case of what is holy, and on the case of what is immoral, what is actually wicked in the eyes of God. Instead, people have been trained to, to navigate through legalism and stuff like that, which ultimately is going to take you to a place of decay because the principles themselves have been separated from reality. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, when we make a stand based on principle, what what we are are making is is an entirely different kind of stand. It's not just a different in a difference in, uh, you know, a value or a gradation, but it's it's an entirely different substance. And if we make a stand on principle, then what we are doing is it's an automatically a criticism of their stand because yep. it's not based on principle. And yep. they don't want to allow, I mean, you know, it's one thing to disagree based on, uh, you know, ba uh, based on intelligence or other things. But, you know, the idea that, that my principle is moral and yours is not is something that they don't, they don't want oh, to yes. recognize. Yeah, that, that is something the world does not want to be allowed on the table at all. And that's why I think so many people have been trained not to speak morality at all. Which, it comes in connection to something we discussed earlier with the Barna survey, that a large majority of people, including those in the church, do not believe in objective truth. Which means they don't believe in objective morality either. And that is such a devastating thing. It really does bring decay and destruction to a, to a society. So what we in the church we have to learn to do is we have to learn to say no to the morals of the word. To the, to the morals, the beliefs of the world. And... This includes saying no to the premises and the assertions of the world because we can't look at the topics in the same way the world wants us to look at. We don't need to use the same terminology. We don't need to use the same lenses to only allow the same terms on the table because, again, sinful people, they're going to be a lot like the conspirators in the book of Daniel. They're going to take their certain things off the table. They're going to design the negotiating table where only the immoral, the sanitized fake virtues they're up there but they're not going to allow the principles up there so we've got to say no to that and say thank you but no these are the principles of god and this is where we stand um 
an example of how we should reject some of the language of the world one of the things that has really bothered me throughout the era of the coronavirus is the language of essential and non-essential which we've seen a huge spike in suicides through all this for like the first few months of this tennessee had a huge increase in suicides during the lockdown that far exceeded the increase in deaths um through the virus itself like there for several weeks and i haven't seen the numbers lately so i don't know how they compare but there were new suicide cases that far exceeded the other and one of the things that you found was these were people who had been told that they were non-essential and of course there's an implication if somebody's work is non-essential where well, you are as well i mean a lot of times people they they connect their their meaning in life to their work for better or for worse that's just kind of how people do but we as the church that's not how we should see things in this we shouldn't use that language and when we look at really society as a whole, we have to see things through the biblical worldview and use the biblical language and not just what the world wants us to see. So, John, I'll let you kind of respond to, to that and just the fact that there is a difference with our, our eyes and our ears. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with, with what you said there. Um, and, and the idea of the idea of how we see the world and basing it on on a, a biblical model. We've kind of accepted this idea that we have to start by, in other words, you can't start with just the idea that God has told us this and therefore we have to do it. You have to start with the idea of, well, why? Why does it make sense? Why is it a good thing to do? And rather, you know, the Christian church is not supposed to use that as its starting point. The starting point is based on God's revelation to us through Scripture. And, but yet we feel we have to start in the same place. And so, you know, it, it does causes all kinds of problems. Well, to your point there, if you start with the questions that are the technical examination, the mechanics of it, and you have blind spots, well, then you can just throw away things that you don't understand. Yeah. You, you can just completely throw stuff away. And to another point you made yesterday, a lot of people in our world believe that sin is basically a personal thing, that it only affects me and my relationship to God, only if I believe in God. You know, if, if, if I don't believe in God and I'm not a Christian, then sin has no real-world ramifications because I don't believe in it. But that's not actually true, is it? Oh, no. You know, your, your sin affects you. It affects all of those around you. You know, really, uh, I think of sin in the sense of creating disease, of, mm. of breaking up the harmony of this world. Uh, you know, there's... The Bible talks about blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And that, you know, the Hebrew word for peace, the shalom, you know, it's far more than just the idea of good feelings between people. But peace is this whole idea that the world is operating in harmony in the way that God intended it to be. And your sin destroys all of that, not just for you, but, but for, you know, everyone around you as well. I think one of the reasons why we've gotten to this point where there is such a worldly infection in the church is because so many people in the church, they want the affirmation in the church, of the world. There are many in the church who want the affirmation of the world around them. And we find a lot of things that really are unbiblical in their, their teaching where a lot of people in the church, they'll say, yeah, we're Christian, we believe in sin. But when the rubber meets the road, when you actually examine someone's teachings, their beliefs across time, which again... Jesus doesn't give us there when you look through the the chapter there in um, Matthew where he's talking about wolves in sheep's clothing there in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you'll know them by their fruits. 
He doesn't say you'll know them based on what you ask them in kind of a gotcha question moment where you kind of put them on the spot. Do you believe this is or no? No, he says you'll know them by their fruits. And one of the things that we find is when you actually observe people across time, which again, you've got to admit that time's a thing and realize there are dots you've got to connect. You'll find that there are a lot of people in the church that they function and they navigate the world as if people are naturally good rather than sinful. And they'll kind of make the assertion that, you know, if someone desires this, then it can't be sinful because it's naturally desirable. Or if someone doesn't believe in the Christian faith and they're not really acting bad because they don't know any better or something like that, you know, there's no consequence to their actions because they don't, they don't have the worldly belief system. This whole idea that there's no absolute truth. But in fact, all of this is, it's, it's kind of hogwash, you know. Yeah. Um, sin, sin actually is very destructive, whether you believe in it or not. And that's something we really have to assert in the church. So as we kind of wrap this up, I want to go now to the book of James. And there's a few verses towards the end of James chapter 1 where James, he, he's writing this letter. And again, like many of the other letters we get in the church, in the, the New Testament, they are directed towards the church, trying to really clarify some things, to make some distinctions, to draw some lines. And... In verse 22, it says, Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who deceive themselves. In other words, there are people who have blind spots. They've heard the word, but they've deceived themselves. And for if any who are hearers of the word, but not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror, but they look away and, and going away immediately forget what they were like. And what we really find happening there in those few verses in the book of James is there are people who they know the biblical worldview in the sense that they've heard it, they've read it, they've opened up their Bible, they've been in church, they've been surrounded by people who hold these things. But yet, the moment they step outside, the moment they step away, it's like they, they forgot it. They're just they're so absorbed in the world that really some bad things start to creep in. And it's very unfortunate. I'll let you respond to that scripture there. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, the whole idea of whether you believe something or not, you know, if you really and truly believe something, it's going to affect your actions. Yes. And so when we claim that we believe something, but then we continue to live as if we don't believe it, it shows us, you know, the truth. And so I do like that image of looking in the mirror and seeing something, but then going away and forgetting about it. You know, yeah. we come to church on Sundays, we hear the word. We recognize with our head, you know, what the Bible says and what we should be doing. And then we go out into the world and we promptly forget it. Yep. And we start operating along the same lines that the world is operating. And as you said yesterday in your Sunday school lesson, our beliefs, they shape all the way down to the options that we consider. The things that we will allow on the table. And so we as the church, just in wrapping this up, we need to learn to say no to the worldly beliefs and start standing for the holy principles of God because they are the holy principles of God. Not for some technical reason, not for some utilitarian argument that says, well, you know, pragmatically they make the world better, but it's, it's only if you kind of want it to. No, we need to make the principled stand that says this is of God. This is the principle. This is the virtue. It's eternal. It's true. It's beautiful. Well, Brother, Brother John, I'll let you close us out in prayer. If you have any other final thoughts you'd like to add, feel free to share them, but we'll, I'll let you wrap up the program. Well, I think you've said it very well there, so let's just close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are truth, 
that you allow us to know the truth, that you've revealed yourself to us. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, uh, to base our lives on the truth and, and not on the ideas of this world, not on the philosophies of this world, but upon you and upon the truth that you represent in your name. Amen. Amen. And in wrapping up, I got to give credit where credit's due. I know John said I said a lot of this, Bill. This material is pulled directly out of his work yesterday. So giving credit where credit's due. John had a great lesson. If you haven't checked it out, go check that out. God love you and have a blessed day. Yeah, that's great. All right.